This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Stephen Castle. Stephen Castle is the London correspondent of the New York Times, and before that he spent more than a decade in Brussels working for different uh, newspapers. Stephen, we're going to talk about the, the referendum on the UK membership of the European Union. First things first, were you surprised by the, the, the no vote on the 23rd of June? I was somewhat surprised. I, in fact, on the day of the vote, I bumped into a couple of people from Downing Street who were canvassing um, in the street by chance, uh, who were very confident that it was going to be a yes vote. My personal prediction had been exactly a 48-52 split, but in the other direct, dire, uh, direction. I hadn't actually committed that to print. I was, though, less surprised having been to Batley in Yorkshire uh, for the very sad, um, to cover the very sad events surrounding the death of Joe Cox, the Labour MP who was killed uh, just before the referendum. And talking to a few people there, you got a bit of a sense uh, of a divided country, of people outside London who were much more likely to vote for Brexit. So it wasn't as big as a shock as it uh, might have been. Okay, well now it's after some hiatus, people are back back to school as it were. Uh, the Westminster village is, is, is bubbling away as it is. Um, who's in, actually in charge of the negotiation, or the strategy at least, from the UK side? Is it the famous Brexiteers, Johnson, Davis and Fox, or is it the new Prime Minister, Theresa May? Who, who calls, who's calling the shots? Well, I think at the end of the day it'll have to be Theresa May. Um, she's put those three people in the, those positions. Uh, partly, I think, for strategic reasons. They were the people who argued for the, these policies and uh, she needs to be seen to give them a good go at coming up with a strategy uh, for achieving Brexit. But at the end of the day I suspect that it will be Theresa May who handles the key and crucial and crunchy parts of that negotiation because they'll be done ultimately. The really hard parts will presumably be done in the European Council at a very very high level. Uh, so while um, a lot of the negotiations of the more mundane stuff, commission pensions, etc., etc., can be handled at, at an administrative level, I think Theresa May will at some point have to take charge. Right. It's over ten weeks now since the the referendum result, and even allowing for the summer holiday hiatus, are we starting to see the first elements of a of a government strategy of how to handle Brexit or not? I think they're very very sketchy. I really do. I think Theresa May, for example, um, made a big point of saying that the points-based immigration system was off the agenda. Now you can read that two ways. One, you could say this is actually keeping open a little bit of flexibility in terms of migration in case she wants to make some trade-offs there. On the other hand, you can read it in the other direction, which David Davis instantly did, uh, as saying that actually she wants a tougher and more rigorous system and that she's kicking it into touch simply because it's inappropriate for Britain. It's actually a system designed in Australia in order to, to attract people to the country rather than uh, to limit the numbers flowing in. So uh, that is extremely um, vague. We haven't, in fact, even been told officially, and Downing Street will not confirm officially whether Britain wants to stay in a customs union, let alone the single market. I mean, the customs union, you would think Britain has to leave the customs union if it's going to have this big new department for international trade, where yeah, searching out these new trade deals worldwide. But uh, the official line from Downing Street is that decision has, uh, was, has not been taken, it hasn't been confirmed. Uh, likewise, we don't know what, our, what the policy is likely to be in terms of access to the single market, whether we're 
generally heading for a, a harder or a soft Brexit or something in between. Do you think Theresa May is playing for time in terms of triggering uh, this famous Article 50 for the negotiation of the so-called withdrawal treaty, or is it she simply does not have an idea yet of what she wants to do, therefore she has to delay the triggering of Article 50? I think she has, it's a, it's a bit of both, I think she will probably trigger Article 50 in January, maybe signal that in December. Uh, the, uh, the gossip is that she's made a, a promise to, to do so. Um, and I think she's given the Brexiteers and her own staff some time to come up with a strategy. Of course, you know this is a, an extraordinary situation because it's, it's a huge undertaking and uh, she's arrived in government really without even a basic plan. And essentially what you have to do really, it seems to me there are two possible strategies here. One is a very political strategy, you say, as your Theresa May. Uh, this is an instruction from the British people to end free movement, to stop contributions to the EU, and uh, also to reject the jurisprudence of the European Court of Justice. Those are our red lines and we're going to fit the economy around it. That would be one hard Brexit way of, of doing it. The alternative is uh, to look at the structure of your economy and to work out which sectors of your economy uh, are most reliant on the uh, access to the European Union and indeed to the customs union and to look at really where you want to put your negotiating uh, firepower and uh, certainly the government seems to be doing the second of those things. Now what they conclude when they've done that analysis is anybody's guess but uh, it does. It seems to be that this is what David Davis and his uh, officials and the Treasury and their those officials are are doing, and they're trying to work out really how big an impact the economic um, uh, withdrawal from the European Union would be. You mentioned Downing Street uh, two three times already. Um, have there been specific uh, Brexit-focused briefings, either on or off the record, for journalists by Downing Street staff, maybe not Theresa May herself, but her, her entourage? I mean, Theresa May is a different type of politician from, uh, from David Cameron. She's much less uh, interested in using the media. She has many few fewer people who do the spending there are one or two, and particularly when she was at the um, G20, of course, there was some news uh, coming out there. But the general strategy, as enunciated, yeah, in fact, yesterday by the, um, David Davis, was, is to say as little as, as possible, not to give away the negotiating hand, that's the, that's the theory. Um, and uh, there have been relatively few leaks or briefings of that nature. Okay. I'm interested in your kind of, your definition just now, in effect, your version of hard Brexit and your version of soft Brexit. Um, how has the economy fail, uh, fared since the 23rd of June? Is, are, there, are there telltale signs in either a positive or a negative direction that you, you want to focus on, on the highlight? I think the economy is definitely a focus. Uh, I mean, it's, it, the economy has performed better than many people had feared, and that's an encouraging sign for the British government. Um, but I think one would have to add a couple of riders to that. The first is that this has been with the support of the Bank of England, which has moved in not only uh, to cut interest rates, but also with some quantitative easing. The second reason, uh, my personal theory, is that when, when business uh, 
woke up on the 24th of June had a slight panic uh, and the pound crashed as, as we know and there was a lot of concern. I think business has now worked out, most businesses have worked out, that in fact nothing has changed and nothing is going to change for at least two years. Uh, so in there is a medium term worry but of course most businesses focus possibly on the next quarter, mm. maybe the next year. Many businesses are not looking three years ahead and therefore I think the danger for the British economy may be more, assuming we trigger Article uh, 50 uh, January next year, the, the, the danger may be in more in 2018 if there is no clear outline of, of a resolution then and anybody who's importing or exports suddenly thinks, crikey, I have no idea what the regime of tariffs or access to the single market is going to be as of next January, January 2019. So that could be a quite a difficult moment, I think, and the government will have to really put in a few mechanisms to try and ensure that that it it reassures business that it doesn't know what it's doing, it doesn't know where it's going, and that these negotiations are going to be construct, uh, constructive and conducted in that spirit. Maybe a final question. You're no longer on the, the Brussels beat uh, on, on a daily basis, at least. I'm sure you can move for the summits uh, from London. Um, but if I can put you on the spot, how do you think that our, the EU27, our European partners, are, are going to uh, treat the United Kingdom? Are they, they going to be nice and friendly with us and, and, and accommodating, or are they going to play it quite tough? Well, I think that's a, a very good question, and we'll see a little bit maybe later this week in Bratislava. Uh, because, of course, um, the we know that the British government has a big problem, but of course the European Union also has a problem in these in these uh, um, negotiations, and there will be a variety of different views, as we suspect that the, the, the Germans will have a bigger trade relationship with Britain. The Dutch, who have a big trade relationship, will be very concerned about avoiding a big economic shock. Uh, other countries will be less concerned. I do think, however, that there is a uh, still a determination, particularly in Germany, and we'll, let's assume that Angela Merkel is still the Chancellor um, at the end of this negotiation after the elections next year. Germany still sees the preservation of the European Union as a major strategic priority. With the UK inside, or what? Uh, no, no, the preservation of the European. I mean, right. in terms of. So my personal view is that it will be willing to sustain some economic loss uh, if the alternative is giving Britain the sort of deal that would cause the European Union to, un to start to unravel. In other words, if Britain gets uh, everything it wants, access to the single market, no uh, budget contributions, opting out of this, opting out of the ECJ, <laughs> what will be the point in the Dutch staying in the, in the European Union? Uh, so um, I think it's going to be a complicated uh, series of negotiations and indeed nobody's really quite clear how, uh, as far as I'm aware, how the Council and the Commission are going to interact in, in, uh, in, in Brussels, whether uh, Michel Barnier will have a big role, mm. whether, because of course he's going to have quite a number of officials working to mm. him, probably more than uh, did you see us in the council. Uh, he's a political animal and uh, his interlocutor will presumably be, did you see us, who's a, 
as an official. So all those questions need to be resolved. But I think the European Council itself needs to give us a strategic direction. And that is the challenge for the 27 to maintain some basic points of unity as we approach this very difficult discussion. Interesting times ahead. Stephen Castle, thank you very much for your time.